Welcome back to In the Chill the Night, episode 15. My co-host, Pete Gagliardi, is still on vacation. Lucky him. So I'm fortunate enough tonight to be joined by Derek Maltz, a good friend. I think I've known you over 10 years now. Derek, um, I've always been impressed with you going back to when we first, I I think we first met. You were really, you know, uh, introducing us and informing us on going dark on what was happening across the country, particularly with uh, criminal cartels being able to leverage uh, all sorts of uh, technology to include the internet to essentially go dark, making it really difficult for law enforcement to be able to understand and identify their operation. So uh, you were always insightful then. And over the last uh, few years, I've been really paying attention to the work you're doing. And I appreciate it because not many people are speaking about this issue like they should be. And that has everything to do with the opioid crisis that that has not left us uh, and that's poisoning uh, America. Now, it was uh, episode 12. uh, Pete and I had the unique opportunity to interview uh, Toby Muse. And we spoke to him about cocaine. And, uh, you know, for many of us, it, it, it was a surprise that cocaine had sort of left uh, the market. But boy, were we wrong when Toby explained to us what was going on uh, across the world in terms of the cocaine trade. And uh, equally important, we need to hear from someone like yourself to be able to describe opioids about what's happening not just in the United States but across the world with this uh with this poison. So welcome to our show in the chill tonight. Greatly appreciate you taking some time to speak to us. Uh how you doing tonight? Ray, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing fine. I appreciate your time and your interest in the topic. It's a very important topic for the American public to hear more about. Um our our young Americans are dying at record levels. The latest stats, 101,236 for 12-month period ending June of 21. And those stats are way underreported, in my opinion. Uh, So we have about 277 young Americans dying every day from this poison coming in over the border. And we have a lethal partnership between the Chinese transnational criminals and the Mexican cartels. So we have to start paying more attention to this. So thank you for uh, having me on. Well, hey, thank you. Uh, but of course, you didn't start learning about this recently. And I say that because you've had a storied career with the DEA. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, of uh, how that brought to where you were at today. So, Ray, a couple of things. Number one, my father was a dedicated DEA agent for 30 years. He was the head of the largest. Uh, I, oldest- I met him a legend. <laughs> yeah, the, the largest and oldest task force in New York City with the NYPD, the New York State Police and DEA. Fortunately for me, when I grew up as an agent, worked my way up the ranks, I ultimately took his position in the New York Drug Task Force. How and cool is honor. that? That's cool. It was, so, it was cool because I, I learned so much from the detectives and the uh, investigators from the state police because I've come from uh, the DNA where you have to work with each other. We don't just say it, we do it. And I learned so much from from those guys. But anyway, when I was in the New York task force as an agent and in a supervisor, 
Um, we started working on, back in the 90s, a South American heroin program. The cartels in Colombia started building up a new product line with very white, pure heroin. So we started working cases on the streets of Washington Heights and New Jersey and the Bronx, the Queens. And we started seeing the distribution networks of this very pure white heroin that was coming from Colombia. Well, over the years, it evolved. And, you know, ultimately, the Colombians had turned over that business to the Mexican cartels. There was too much risk. There was too much vulnerability. They didn't want to go to jail. And they realized they could still make significant money by turning it over to the cartels. So I was fortunate when I was working in those jobs. But then when I went down to the special operations division as the head in 2005, there were nine agencies when I started working there. I built up this Senate to 30 agencies, and I even brought the NYPD into the operation. Wow, wow. And, and could you tell us a little bit about SOD for those that don't know? So the Special Operations Division is a DEA division. It was formed in 1994. Very smart visionaries uh, decided to come up with this synchronization center to go after the Cali and the Medellin cartels communication infrastructure and rip them apart and just kind of focus on their command and control around the world. And so I was really lucky. I inherited uh, a position that was running very smoothly, and I just had to try to grow the operation, working with all the different agencies, the Intel community, uh, Special Operations Command, Northern Command, the DOD elements, and just kind of looking at this global threat to our country. You know, what a lot of people never talk about, Ray, and when you started out by talking about cocaine, we may not have the same cocaine market here in America anymore, right. but the cartels are now bombing other parts of the world, and the terrorist organizations are tapping into the proceeds of cocaine trafficking. So it's still impacting our country, even if our population is not using the cocaine as much. And we could get into that you know, another time. But So when I was at the SOD operation, I was lucky because I was in the hub of DEA's operational command center, and I had visibility on worldwide operations. So I started watching different threats evolve. And this whole opioid, heroin, fentanyl crisis has been an unbelievable experience to see it unfold. And it's just so, it's, it's just growing daily. And I can explain that, you know, going back in, in, you know, the days when I worked in New York and seeing all these kids get addicted because the heroin was very pure. Right. And for the first time, they can snort it instead of put a needle in their arm. So it was very attracted to, a, you know, very attractive for new users. It wasn't just, you know, one set of users from like the inner city. It was everybody was using this stuff. It was very powerful. But then in the 90s, Ray, when Purdue Pharma, uh, you know, actually produced Oxycontin, which is an unbelievably important and strong opioid, right, for pain. Right. It just got out of control. It became the perfect storm uh, early on, like in, let's say, the late 90s, early 2000s, where you had this white, pure heroin and you had the, you know, the very strong opioids, the, the legal opioids that were being prescribed. So it just became a disaster in America. So many people got addicted. And it was, it was literally the Washington Post did a really good story. Ray, I don't know if you saw it, but in a nine-year period, there were, there were two, I think it was 2006 through 2014, there was 100 billion opioids dumped in America by like 
three or four manufacturers and six six or seven distribution companies. Like I call them the corporate cartels. Wow. And because- and right and right about this time too, there's crackdowns on prescriptions, right? So, exactly. Yep. So what was happening is, you know, not so much in the beginning, but over time, there was a lot of crackdowns going after the companies civilly. If you notice the corporate cartels, there was never anyone charged like, you know, criminally. And that's another story for another day. We're not going to talk about that today. But they were getting hit with civil fines and it was a lot of uh, negative publicity. But the problem was then legitimate people in pain couldn't get their pain meds. So they had to go to the street and buy either heroin or pills or go on the Internet or go on the dark web. So they're able to buy these opioids to for comfort for their pain. A lot of times it was legitimate pain. They couldn't get their pain meds or they were addicted. But that's what caused a very big problem for this country. And these transnational criminal groups, especially in China, took total advantage of it. Certainly had no problem filling the void. Right. So so just so you know, again, I was in the hub of SOD. So we started seeing in like 2008, 2009, we started seeing massive production of synthetic cannabinoids and cathinoids. And most people know that to be K2 spice and bath salts. And we started seeing in America, lots of kids getting sick. There was an increase in overdoses and emergency room admissions, and no one really understood it. And what it turned out to be, Ray, is uh, the Chinese criminals in these labs in Wuhan, China, and other places, they were making these synthetic drugs and saturating the dark web and the internet and then mailing this stuff into America. And what was happening is it created just, just this unbelievable frenzy for synthetic drugs. And people were getting really, really sick. So as the head of SOD, I never heard of this stuff in my life. I was getting calls from parents. They were finding the strange substances in their house, like Scooby-Doo. You know, it would say not for human consumption. But in fact, the kids were smoking it. It was known on the street as synthetic marijuana. Wow. The problem is it was actually chemicals from these labs in China. So in DEA, we had operations where we would send informants over to China, go in the labs, take photographs, these huge production facilities of the synthetic drugs. And they started assaulting American population and no one knew what was going on. So long story short, what happened was um, the U.S. government started putting significant pressure on China. So we had two major operations back around 2012, 2014, Operation Logjam and Operation Project Synergy, we called it, with all the agencies, FBI, Homeland Security, CBP, state and locals everywhere. And we had three or four sustained operations over a two-year period. We seized like hundred million in cash. We arrested, you know, hundreds of people. We seized, you know, thousands of pounds of this K2 and spice. And we put a lot of pressure on these Chinese lab operators. But guess what happened, Ray? They started producing fentanyl. So right around 2012, they switched up from massive production of synthetic cannabinoids and cathinones and started making this deadly fentanyl. So and, two- and, and at this time, what's law enforcement? There's a lot going on with law right. enforcement, homeland security, still on the counterterrorism realm. You brought up going dark. So all this is happening 
And at the same time, you have folks taking advantage of this with, with new markets, right? Exactly, because these transnational criminals are in the business to make money. They saw that this United States population was addicted to these opioids. So the Chinese uh, you know, entrepreneurs decided to start making these powerful fentanyl substances and send them to America directly. So around 2012, as the head of SOD, we started seeing kids dying in the Northeast, up in Boston, New Hampshire, Maine, and then in Florida, West Palm Beach. And we started doing a survey of all our DEA offices and other agencies to see what the hell was going on. And it hey, turned hey. out that the, the coroners were, were saying that it was fentanyl, which personally, I knew fentanyl as this pain uh, medicine in the hospital. I didn't know it was prevalent all over the streets and all over the dark web. That's so, right. And, and let, me, you know, let me throw this out to you, too, is or, or ask you this question, why was it in certain pockets around the U.S. we're seeing these huge spikes? Well, for one, you know, when it first started, it was it was just people going on the Internet, going to the dark web. But it was primarily in those areas that had a high saturation of opioid addiction, right? Like New England was saturated from the heroin uh, gotcha. yep. and the pill market in West Virginia, for an example, right? And then Southern Florida, you just had a lot of um, investigations where they were targeting these guys that were buying these pills and these other substances online. So there were a lot of dark web investigations. So that's where the investigations led us to, Ray. And, and what was really, really interesting from my standpoint, because I'll be very honest with you, I had no idea as the head of the Special Operations Division that this can turn into the crisis it is today. But I will tell you one thing that's very significant, Ray. Because it was happening so quickly, we started up an operation called Deadly Merchant in around 2013. We started seeing the transnational, transnational criminals, the Chinese transnational criminals, engaging with the Dominican uh, distribution networks and the Mexican cartels. And we felt that that was the recipe for disaster. So we had an immediate briefing to the attorney general, the former attorney general, Eric Holder. We briefed the entire Department of Justice, you know, executive staff. And of course, all the interagency leaders were briefed. We were putting everyone on warning like this is happening very quickly and we're seeing people die instantly. But to be fair, Ray, nobody knew what the hell was going on. The way I would describe it, this was the start of this unrestricted warfare chemical weapon attack on our country. Interesting. And we'll get it. We'll get into that as we go through the time frame here. And and let me just throw this out to you too. You're probably going to cover this, but um, this makes sense for from a, a a criminal perspective, an organized crime perspective, because the amount of money that was being generated when you're able to use uh, a, a supplement like like fentanyl, and I know you're going to get into that, but can you speak to that now? Oh, yeah. Great question, Ray. I mean, a lot of people want to know why, right? Well, first of all, the cartels are in the business for one reason, to make money. They're not in the business to kill off their customers. They're in the business to make as much money. Now, with the current situation and the migrant smuggling business booming and the drug business booming, there's a lot of cash flow. And now they're using the Chinese transnational criminals to move the money, which we'll get in later on in the podcast. But what's happening is they've realized that making synthetic fentanyl 
is so much cheaper and so many less hassles than going through the the poppy, the opium (laughs) process, the farmers, the eradication efforts, the massive uh, employees that you need to pay. This is so much easier to get a couple of chemists and get the chemicals from China or India and make this stuff in these labs. The problem is they haven't yet figured out like the exact formula so they don't kill their customers, right? But they don't really care. If they kill 10% or 20% of their customers, but they but they gain so many more customers and more revenue, this is just the cost of doing business. As you know, from the days of knocking them dead in New Jersey, you know, if you hit tractor trailer worth of cocaine, it's just business as usual. They, it, it's just a write-off for the business, right? Right. So, so what's happening is the cartels, their businesses are exploding because this is such an addictive substance, fentanyl. I mean, it only takes two milligrams, which is equivalent of four grains of salt in your palm. So put four grains of salt, that's a deadly dose. So for them, wow. they just mix a couple of specks of fentanyl in this powdery substance, whether it's heroin, cocaine, meth, or just some kind of cutting agent, their people are going to get really high and they're going to come back for more. But unfortunately, many of them are dying because it's not mixed properly. They don't have FDA scientists and chemists in labs mixing this stuff in these, in these packaging houses, right? So it's very dangerous. And right now it's killing an historic level of Americans and people just don't have an idea of what's going on. Most of the parents that I speak to and I deal with them every day, they wish they knew about this fentanyl. No one ever told them about fentanyl. It came so quickly on the radar. And then to be honest with you, a lot of the government uh, leadership just didn't engage. They didn't want to deal with it. They didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't understand it. So they ignored it, hoping it was going away. And unfortunately, it's here to stay. And it's a crisis like we've never seen, right? Um, you know, I, I think for some folks that are not in the business like yourself, they would almost think that because of COVID that there was a big pause on the opioid epidemic. And I know you're going to tell us that is not the case. Or that so, wasn't okay. Case. Look at COVID, what it's done to the country, right? Kids were home from school. In college, they were doing work online right? You, you had to wear masks everywhere. You still have to wear masks. Then they got into the vaccination process. A lot of young kids didn't do too well with this, right? Social isolation. They weren't with their friends. They weren't allowed to go out. They couldn't go to the bars and drink. Everything was closed. Life became really depressing for a lot of kids in America. And a lot of families, people that lost their jobs, their husband and wives are fighting, divorces increased, and you know people out of work, they couldn't get paid. And so a lot of people turn to these substances for relief. So I'll give you a classic example. 17-year-old kid is home, very stressed out, social anxiety, depression, sees mommy and daddy fighting a lot, but then things get better in the house and they notice mom's taking some type of prescription. They look at the bottle, they see Xanax. They take a pill out of mom's prescription bottle. They feel better. The 17-year-old kid feels great now. They want to get some Xanax. So then they find out dad's taking Xanax because he's also very, you know, under anxiety. They start taking dad's uh, Xanax, the mom's Xanax, they feel better. But then when the bottle is empty, they need Xanax. 
So they go into the street or they go into the social media platforms. They're buying these pills that turn out to be fake Xanax pills. They're not Xanax. They look like Xanax. They're labeled Xanax, but they're actually fentanyl from the labs in Mexico. And the kids found dead in the morning by the parents. And this is what's going on every day. It's not overdoses. It's murder and poisoning from fentanyl coming from labs in Mexico. And the Chinese transnational criminals are helping to make this stuff by providing the precursor chemicals at massive amounts. You paint a very bleak picture. Um, how do we get out of this? Well, a couple of things. The first thing we have to do is start calling it what it is. So I was very happy in September to see the new DEA administrator, who was the former attorney general in New Jersey, Ann Milgram. She did a couple of different press events, and she issued the first ever safety alert to the American public about this deadly fentanyl in these fake counterfeit pills, Oxycontin, Vicodin, Adderall, you know, you name it, you name an opioid, they're going to counterfeit it, and the kids are going to be deceived, and they're going to die. And that's why we're seeing 277 young Americans every day dying. The vast majority of drug deaths are from fentanyl. And it's being reported more and more every month. We're going to just hear it more and more. I'll give you an example. San Diego, a couple of months ago, uh, over the last five years, I believe it was, they saw a 1,300% increase in fentanyl-related deaths. Orange County, California, reported a 1,067% increase in fentanyl-related deaths. The coroner's office in Ohio reported, like in the first nine months of 2020, 85% of the deaths, which were on the rise, were all fentanyl related. So everybody's a little late to the game, Ray. But unfortunately, since the parents don't know and nobody's telling them, the kids are just dropping left and right. But to answer your question, you got to first start educating like we've never educated in the history of this country. Unfortunately, nobody has educated the kids about these synthetic drugs. This isn't grandpa's marijuana, by the way. This isn't the right. marijuana from the 70s. This is poison from labs and Wuhan-style labs in China that's killing people instantly, okay? So and, 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 what, and what you described a little while ago with that example is, and, and this is for the parents, is I, I think they might have a preconceived notion of folks that may use opioids in the street. But what you're saying is all it, all it takes is one pill. Right, one because pill. it's not real. The problem is, is that if you take one Xanax from mommy, you're 15 years old, and you take a Xanax pill from mommy's pill bottle that came from CVS, you're not going to die. You're going to feel good. It's going to relax you. That's what it's supposed to do. But that's when it's prescribed from a, a doctor, and, it, and it's, 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 it's issued by a, a pharmacy like CVS or Walgreens. It's authentic Xanax. When you buy it online or you buy it from the street, most likely it's coming from Mexico and the cartel's labs. The Sinaloa cartel and the Jalisco New Generation cartel are controlling the production of these fake pills. I'll give you an example. October 28th, the Mexican army hit a lab in Mexico. They seized a couple hundred pounds of fentanyl, but that lab, according to the AP reports, was producing 70 million fake pills a month. Now, 
Let me give you something that's really important for you to hear. In 2015, the DEA Phoenix office seized zero fake Mexican Oxy pills. Zero. They didn't see them at that time. In 2021, they seized, they seized 10 million. It went from zero to 10 million. So the progression was zero to 20,000 to 54,000 to 380,000 to 1.6 million to 6 million to 10 million. So wow. think about this, Ray, with all your experience. If they seized 10 million of those pills in one DEA division, how many are in population right now in circulation? So you have to be more aggressive going after the cartels. We have to treat them like a terrorist organization. I've been preaching this for three years. I testified in court in Ohio. We got a bipartisan vote, almost unanimous, to designate the cartels as terrorists. They're killing more Americans than any terrorist organization in the history of this country. Okay? So they are terrorists. They're doing a chemical weapon attack against our kids. They're the enemy of our children. So what's more important to this country than our future generation? They're killing off our future doctors, our lawyers, our teachers, our bus drivers, our, you know, you name it, our pilots. Every profession is losing potential employees because they're dying at record numbers. But the thing is, Ray, people just don't understand this. But what's really, really hard for me to kind of grasp is that President Biden last month did a good thing. He talked to the American public and he actually said that the drug crisis is now an unusual and extraordinary threat to our national security. So that's on record. Mm -hmm. And a lot of public figures have now been saying that. So now you have to act accordingly. If we have a wide open border, and I'm not playing the politics, I'm just giving you facts. If you have a wide open border, the cartels then can easily send their operatives to flood the streets of our country to be there as command and control leaders to distribute the poison that's made in Mexico. They get the drugs over the border. They bring them to these command and control hubs throughout our country. They distribute them. And you know what else they're doing, Ray, which is becoming more and more popular? They're distributing just the powdery substances in America. And then the kids in America are buying pill presses and pill dyes and they're making the fake pills in their basement. Wow. And they're selling the fake pills. They have no idea what they're mixing. They think they're mixing maybe some heroin or some cocaine or some meth, but they're mixing poisonous fentanyl and then they're making pills. So the pills are everywhere. It's also being put in cocaine, in methamphetamine, and in heroin. And so now the cartels are realizing we don't need to make drugs anymore in the in the poppy fields. We don't need to grow these things. It's too much work. We're going to make it in the lab. So synthetic drugs are here to stay. And they're making making much more money. Much more money. So their their profit margin is off the charts, Ray. So this is what they're in business for. So this is the problem. But you have to use all the tools of national power, Department of Defense, Intel community, law enforcement, and your professional mental health professionals, your doctors, your substance abuse professionals. And we have to have a strategy. But most importantly, Ray, we have to have a monthly accountability for results. Like COVID, every night you see on TV, COVID cases, COVID deaths. We can't even get accurate CDC numbers on 
on fentanyl deaths right now. And everything is months and months behind. So you got to get why, a handle why, on that. Because of resources, you know how it goes, Ray. You worked in the government a long time. Nobody has enough resources, and we're dealing with this crisis. They have to hire more people. They have to do public service announcements. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were watching a primetime show and you had a professional athlete or a celebrity come on and talk about the dangers of fentanyl? It's never happened one time. And it has to happen because they're role models and the kids will listen to them. Okay? They don't want to hear talking heads on CNN or Fox News or Newsmax or MSNBC. They want to hear people that they can relate to. Otherwise, the message isn't going to sink in. I've been pushing this message for three years. It's just now starting to catch on a little bit. But 277 at least a day are dying. So we got to have a sense of urgency to go after the education piece. We got to get all these addicted people serious help right now because we have so many people addicted to opioids. They need real help, but we need accountability. We can't just throw 50 million at a clinic in Washington Heights because the corrupt leadership people are going to steal the money. That's what they do. They don't give it to the the patients at 100% levels. We have to have strict accountability on the treatment and the rehabilitation centers. We have to empower the law enforcement. We have to update the laws. You talked about going dark. So let me tell you what's really disturbing. Mm. Right now, all these encrypted apps, law enforcement can't do real-time live collection of the content of those conversations. Even if they're terrorists, they can't do real-time collection of that content. So we have these overseas apps, WeChat from China, and these other apps that pop up all over the place that kids are using so they can keep, you know, anonymous. And that's what the transnational criminals are using. Like right now, that's why the Mexican cartels are making so much money because the Chinese have developed a um, a trade a, a money laundering system with trade-based money laundering using WeChat and WeChat Pay, where cash isn't even going into U.S. bank accounts. They're just moving the money from one Chinese account to another Chinese account. They buy consumer goods. They ship the goods to South America. They sell the goods for profit. Everybody makes money. But meanwhile, the the business guy in Las Vegas just collected a million dollars in cash from the Chinese national students that are here in America that picked up the money from the cartels. He uses the money to gamble. He uses the money to buy marijuana grow houses all over Colorado, Washington State, and they're they're pumping out this very high, pure THC marijuana in these retail operations in beautiful neighborhoods in Colorado, Washington State, and other places out West. And it's the Chinese businessmen that are running these operations. But nobody's talking about this, Bray. The president was on the other night. Not one reporter asked about fentanyl. Not one reporter, maybe there was one or two questions about the border. Let's stop the politics and let's start saving the kids. Like I say, this isn't a red or a blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. It impacts everybody. Everyone's family's impacted. Every week that goes by, I get a call from somebody. Oh, Derek, you're not going to believe it. My son's friend, my daughter's friend, my aunt's buddy, my papa. They're dead from fentanyl. So this is just something that's just driving me nuts because we're not getting any conversation. I testified in U.S. Congress back in March 
and we've been putting this message out. I do these photo collages. You may see them in the background here. I, I was just going to ask you about that. Every day I make these things. I just stop because it's too overwhelming. I stopped it after like 2,500 kids. You and know, I, I use I, these. I, Derek, when I, yeah. first, when I first saw that in the background, it reminded me of uh, September 11th, the photo collage that I've seen. Okay, and what you're gonna and you're gonna compare this to what happens every day here, right? So, so Ray, let me give you a quick story, and I'll, even, I'll actually show you something. So, I went down this past July with the sheriffs down in the border in Arizona to have a rally to talk about all these issues that impact our country at the border. And prior to that, I get something in the mail. Like I said, I work with the families, so I'm gonna hold something up. I'm gonna read to you the note that's on the back. Derek, please take Alex with you to Arizona. She should have been graduating from ASU this year. She was killed by a single counterfeit oxycodone pill that came across our border. Thank you for everything you're doing. God bless Alex's dad, Matt. Now, I show you that because I also held that up on a Fox News show one night to, to make sure people understand this is real. This girl could be like anyone's daughter, 20 years old, senior at Arizona State, comes home three days before Christmas, two years ago. She gets on Snapchat. She orders one pill because she wants to ha have a pill. So she made a bad decision. Kids are supposed to learn from mistakes, not die from mistakes. She goes online. The drug dealer delivers the pill to the house. The mother and father find her dead in the, in the bedroom in the morning. Wow. This is the story going on all around America. And you may have seen the breaking news last week in Connecticut. It was like a, a, a hazmat scene all day long in the high school, the middle school, 13-year-olds ingested some some fentanyl the one kid died and the other two went to the hospital this is going on all over the country but we have no conversation we have no strategy we have no accountability and and this is a problem that's been going on for many years so it's not just attacking the current administration but right now that hot potato is in their lap right they have to deal with it let's stop we don't want to blame people we want to fix it right and save lives What's uh? What about law enforcement? What, what kind of training are they getting for these type of uh, uh, trafficking cases? So, speaking of law enforcement, my hat goes off as you served so many years in, in, in the New Jersey State Police, and you understand what the men and women go through in law enforcement these days with the defund police and all that stuff. But they're out there and they're working it hard. So, I'll give you an example: the DEA administrator had another press event in in uh, December to announce the second phase of their one pill can kill operation. And this isn't just DEA. This is working with their counterparts. So far this year, she reported, you know, 21, they seized 20 million pills of fake pills, 15,000 pounds of fentanyl powder, 180,000 pounds of meth. And what's really important about that, Ray, just to give you some perspective, on one day during the roundup on December 14th, the Phoenix DEA seized 1.7 of these fentanyl pills, but 1.7 million, 1.7 wow. million. But now ready for this stat? The DEA lab did an analysis. They determined that 40% of the pills that they analyze have a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. That means that 40% of the 20 million 40, pills. 40%. 40%. Yes, that's coming from DEA lab. It's not Derek Maltz making it up. And so think about how many lives law enforcement has been saving by seizing this stuff to ask about the training. 
law enforcement is on high alert when it comes to fentanyl, not only the state and locals, but the locals are working very closely with the feds and they're doing a spectacular job considering the lack of support, the lack of resources and the current morale issues that are all across government, federal, state and local law enforcement. And you look at the Border Patrol and CBP. So I don't know if you noticed, Ray, but last year on our southwest border, they seized over 11,201 pounds of fentanyl on the border. That is 390% increase since 2018 at the border. They also seized 190,000 pounds of meth. One of the other things that we didn't talk about, but I want to tell you about this real briefly. So the Chinese have been providing the precursor chemicals forever to the cartels to make meth. But now the meth is being produced in industrial-sized laboratories in Mexico like we've never seen in the history of the country. When you were a young trooper, when I was a young agent, if you seized a pound or two of meth, that was a huge case. That was big. Guess, guess what? Just last month, or I think it was November, I can't remember. CBP or Border Patrol seized a tractor trailer with 17,500 pounds of meth and 300 and something pounds of fentanyl. So we're seeing meth seizures in the thousands of pounds all over the country. And I could go through the list, but I'm not going to do that to you. But my point is, is that the methamphetamine business is exploding as well because the cartels are operating with impunity. So going back to your question before, we have to use the best and brightest that we have in this country. We have some really bright people and we have great capabilities and authorities. And we need to go after those production sites like it was a terrorist with chemical weapons to destroy our country. That's how I feel. It may sound dramatic to some people, but think about the amount of people that are dying. OK, and then look at these poor kids. Just go look at my photo collages. They're all over the social media and look at the faces, of these kids. And then think about the parents and the, and, the, and the siblings and the relatives, what they're going through, and the communities. This is a chemical weapon attack. That's not a Derek Malt sensational statement. It's a chemical made in a lab in Mexico. It's chemicals coming from China. It's also chemicals made in labs in China. It's not just Mexico. They're still sending stuff from, from China as well, just not the same level as it was. Because the former president got involved and put pressure on China, so they switched up their, their exports a little bit. But the reality is, is that it's growing everywhere. All our cities are feeling the impact, and we have to start being more aggressive. So shows like this and other media outlets that, that talk about this and put it out to the public help people to understand what the issues are so they can talk to their local leaders and their federal Congress people. Because we we just we just got to be more aggressive, and we need everybody's help. Hey, uh, Derek, uh, I, I think it's also worth mentioning for law enforcement that has come in contact with this. There's been some casualties as well on the law enforcement side touching this stuff. Correct. Well, you know that's a great point, Ray. And I'm not a doctor, so there's been a lot of controversy about that as well. And I really am not. Um, up to speak about that in the sense that, yeah, they have some videos online where sheriffs have gone down, had to get Narcan just to revive them. But then there's doctors that come out and say, you can't go down if it touches your skin. I really don't know, to be honest with you. And I'm not going to make it up. I'll only stick to the facts. There are plenty of reports about law enforcement getting ill, 
and maybe even, you know, going to the hospital and possibly even overdosing. I don't know, Ray, but the truth be told is it's a fact by all the medical professionals that I've heard from that it only takes two to four milligrams of this fentanyl to kill an adult. And by the way, since I know you know what a kilogram of powder is, one kilogram of fentanyl that's pure could potentially kill a half a million people if you, if you do the math. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> so, so how can we say that that's not a chemical weapon coming into our country? Hey, Derek, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for educating us. Um, you're out there doing a lot. And your 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 passion for this is is unmatched. So 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 Ray, let me just comment on that because I, I want to tell you a quick story, only because you'll understand something. So back last January, I was invited to speak at the Palm Beach uh, World Affairs Council on transnational crime. It was like a half hour thing, speaking about the Chinese, the cartels, and all these Hezbollah threats with the cartels and stuff like that, and. Three days later, I get a call from a mother up in Connecticut. Her name was Lisa Dean. Lisa says, Mr. Maltz, my brother was in your uh, speaking event down in Florida, and he said, we have to connect. Let me tell you this story. My, my son, Joe, was a lacrosse player, 23 years old. He died in Madison, Connecticut. I had to put billboards up along the highway. I started a nonprofit just to get people to talk about fentanyl. A lot of his friends have died. They're dropping all the time up here. Can you help us in any way? Bah, bah, bah. She introduced me to a whole bunch of mothers and fathers on these Facebook groups like the Fentanyl Coalition and, and Lost Voices of Fentanyl and, and several others. But long story short, we had a rally in August in front of the Chinese embassy with families from like 40 different states around the country to talk about this and to bring some awareness to the problem. Since then, we've had other rallies. I was making those collages. I meet different families every day. Uh, and now one of my goals has been to get the families on national media. Instead of listening to me all the time, talk about this problem, let the parents tell their story. So we're able right. to successfully get several of the parents on national news media, primetime shows to talk about the death of their loved ones. Like this one was just on because the DEA, two years after Alexandra died, the DEA actually arrested the subject, a 22-year-old kid from Riverside, California, um, and they arrested him for the sale of the poison to kill Alex Capilouto. A lot of the families, they, they rallied last week at Snapchat headquarters in California to bring the awareness. Uh, so I work with them for one purpose, to support them. And of course, the secondary thing is to bring the awareness to the public because no one in government seems to be doing it. Very few people are doing it. I applaud the DEA administrator because she's been really active about this problem, but she's doing it alone right now. So with that said, what could people do to get involved before they, a family member or a friend becomes a victim? Well, for one, I think it'd be nice if school districts allowed professionals that had you know knowledge on this topic to come in and talk to all the kids right away before it's too late. There's an old saying that I have, right? You can't treat a kid in the morgue. It's too late. You got to treat them when they're in middle school. You got to educate them. You got to tell them what's up. 
So parents can get more engaged and ask the school board these questions, bring professionals in from law enforcement, bring in DEA, Homeland Security, FBI agents. Everybody wants to talk to the school. Unfortunately, the schools have the politics attached to it. And this is not a political issue. Like I said, you know, you can make it political if you want, but it's about the kids. So everybody wants to save kids and help kids. So they have to start getting more involved in the community groups and the churches. And they have to start getting educated and start getting the publications. Like DEA has been putting out really good stuff on the websites. They start putting out a lot of their one pill can kill um, brochures and documents. So anybody can get educated. I'm working to try to recruit some you know, professional athletes. We have one kid, Jack Driscoll, from the Philadelphia Eagles, who did a recent video talking about his friend, Joe Dean, who was the kid I was just telling you about from Madison, Connecticut. They played football together. We have to start doing a, a, the awareness campaign, but we got to put it on steroids. That's step number one, so people don't buy this stuff. There's also been a lot of pressure put on the social media companies. It seems like Snapchat has done some positive things over the last month, ever since the DEA started calling them out. Um, but we have to get the Congress and, you know, not only the, the feds, but the, the state and local congressional people involved. Like I said, three years ago, the Ohio Congress invited myself, Sarah Carter from Fox News, and one of the mothers who lost their daughter, um, Heidi Riggs, who lost her daughter in Ohio, to testify about this problem to Congress. They voted almost unanimously. Like I said, it was a bipartisan vote to designate the cartels as terrorists and right. start treating them as terrorists because they're killing like we've never seen before. Derek, uh, I can't thank you enough for this. Uh, where where could people follow you? Uh, I know you're involved in a couple of different things. Uh, where can they follow you and and and, and track what, what you're saying day to day? So so basically. Everything that I do on the media, I will put on my YouTube channel under Derek Maltz, right? So I, I, I put all the media appearances just because I want it out there. I've been saying this for a few years. I make edits, so I make shorter clips as well. I have a Twitter account, obviously, which is completely like blown up by the censorship out there. But Derek Maltz underscore senior, D-E-R-E-K underscore senior. I have a Getter account, DS Maltz, that I use. I also have, obviously, Facebook. I have a Facebook National Security Public Safety Group, and that's where I publish a lot of stuff daily, and we try to stay 100% about the issue. Unfortunately, politics do come into it. People post stuff. There's a lot of frustration right now, as you know, in America. We try to maintain the balance as much as we can, but it's very difficult these days because kids are dying at record levels. Mm. Um and I go on a podcast, you know, if people call, I'll go on the shows like you did. Thank you for calling me in tonight. Um, anytime we can get the message out, this is what I try to do. Well, thank you for your service, both in government and now uh, post-career. And I, I know you have a full-time job, too. So Yeah, so but that's actually good because my company sells software to the government. So I'm the relationships guy. So I'm able to communicate and stay current with all of the issues every day because the friends of mine throughout all these agencies know that my passion is to save lives. I'm not running for office. I'm not That's looking right. for any uh, accolades. I'm just looking to help the parents and the families. But so they're giving me information that you can't get if, you, if you're not doing this every day. Right. 
Right. And so they see how I'm saying things that are very pro-law enforcement to help get their messages out. Because unfortunately, because of the politics that they face, they can't actually say the things that they want to say. So hopefully the president started out about a month ago declaring this a national emergency. He also formed a transnational crime council. Now maybe let's put some meat on the bones and start holding people accountable, put somebody in charge of this task force he's forming and start having some targets and go after these cartels. So there's three things that can be done right away. Destroy the production sites, shut down the money flow with the cartels and the Chinese uh, money laundering ops, and put pressure on China to stop the flow of the precursor chemicals to the Mexican cartels right there in Sinaloa and different areas of, of Mexico. If you do those three things, you're going to shut down the supply. In the meantime, you have to get all of these people help. Yeah. And you also have to put a massive education um, you know, program together and put it on steroids, get it on the uh, nightly shows, get some celebrities, get some athletes, get the NFL, and find some good athletes out there that are willing to step up and start pushing the message every day. Derek, thank you. Thank you, Ray. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. You have an awesome night. Thank you, sir.